turn to John chapter 14. Tell you what, this is great. It is so good to see all of you here. I know that uh, we probably have a lot of special guests with us this morning. Uh, perhaps you brought a friend, coworker, a neighbor, or a family member. I just have to tell you that this is a very significant Easter for my family and I because um, I have the privilege of having my parents, Ken and Tina Call, and my dad's brother and his wife, Dan and Bobby Call, from Haver, Montana, and my folks from Spokane, Washington. I just want to tell you, thank you so much for being with us. I'd just like to recognize you. Do you want to stand so everybody can see you? Now, they got here because they uh, had a semi-reliable vehicle and they had a decent GPS unit, okay? Now, these, these GPS units, I'll tell you what, if I knew how cool they were and how much stress they take out of driving road trips, I'd have got one years ago, not last year. I mean, I don't know if how many of you have made the discovery of just how wonderful these little devices are because, I mean, you just kind of plug them in. You kind of put the destination you want to go to, and it'll actually tell you where to go. Now, I've been a guy who tries to drive by instinct. I'm a little directionally challenged, and we've had some pretty – I mean, we've actually drawn for miles, get driving for miles in the wrong direction, and we're not even knowing it until we're seeing signs like, wait, this can't be right, okay? And so I've come to the conclusion that if you want to take a lot of the stress and calories out of your road trips, you want to get a GPS unit. This is, by the way, you know, they're coming into wedding season here. Now, I know that some of you ladies think that, you know, if I just get that precious little couple, some, like a precious moment starter set, or, you know, those little cow-shaped salt and pepper shakers, that's all nice. But if you really want to make a difference in their marriage, buy them a GPS unit, Okay. You heard it from a pastor. I'm just telling you, really, they're going to go, oh, that's nice. And it's called regifting these days. Well, that's where those little precious moments things are. But the GPS unit will make a difference. Now, you know, it's just pretty cool. If we wanted to go to Wyzetta, Minnesota from Waco, Texas, all we'd have to do is kind of key it in. And lo and behold, that GPS unit would give us directions. But let me tell you a far more important question. How is it that a person could really have relationship with God. How do you really get there? Now, that is really the ultimate question of life. And every single living person has at some point stopped to consider, how in the world did I get here? Why am I here? And where am I going? Who really is God? And is it really possible for me to know him? And really, Easter is kind of like one of these divinely appointed times At least once a year, people all around the world consider, do I really know God and can I really know him? Now, many people think that getting to know God is a matter of just following the right directions. It's like following a roadmap. And if I do certain things or go through certain rituals, that I've got a relationship with God. I've got the religious box checked. And if you look at all major world religions with one glaring exception, They all have a path that is lined out, that you do certain things, whether it be like Buddhism, Islam, uh, Hinduism. They got a path that you can follow. Now, some of those paths are pretty divergent, but they believe that if you follow these paths, then you do these rituals, you show up at these places or at this temple or certain people or certain holy people do things to you, that you have a relationship with God. And billions of people have come to the conclusion that because I've shown up in a church or at a temple or gone through these rituals, that I've got a relationship with God. Now, some people feel like you can just kind of make it up as you go. How many of you are familiar with a guy by the name of uh, Warren Buffett? 
In 2006, June 2006, at, the, at this time, he was the second wealthiest man in the world. He had a fortune of $44 billion, and you remember what he did. He decided that he was going to give away 85% of his wealth, and he did so through five major charities. And this is what he said. I want to read this quote to you. He said, there is more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. Can a person truly get to heaven by giving 85% of your wealth? Now, for Buffett, I don't think it affected his lifestyle. For some of us, uh, you know, we're going to be like having a drastically different lifestyle. But does that really, if you give away most of your money and all of your wealth, does that really create uh, the idea that you can truly have a relationship with God and give you access to heaven? Or some people try to have a little more eclectic route. Rock singer Cheryl Crow she said in an interview with New York Post, she said this, you know, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad and all those who are enlightened. I wouldn't say necessarily I'm a strict Christian, and I'm not even sure I believe in heaven. And so there's a lot of people, and it's become almost vogue to have designer spirituality where you, you just set up what you want. You've got things that you like. You can pick and choose. You can have an eclectic blend of all sorts of different world religions, or you don't have to believe anything at all. You just, you just pick and choose what you want to believe, and you equate that to true spirituality and authentic relationship with God. And, you know, the common phrase is, well, you know, there's all these world religions, and well, we know that they all lead to the same place, right? But do all roads lead to God and to his heaven? Can you really make it up? As you go, I want you to think about that for just a second. For instance, if I said, hey, I would like to call your home. Would you tell me, hey, you know what? Just just dial any number. No, wait, I need the phone number to your house. No, really. All phone numbers eventually just kind of hit my house. Is that true? You would go, no, that's totally illogical. For instance, if you fly on a plane, do all planes go to New York? Is that their destination? No, we know that different flights have different destinations. And yet, we can throw out, well, all roads lead to heaven. And people are like, yeah, that makes sense. When it's totally illogical. Remember I told you there was one glaring exception to all these different paths, supposedly to heaven, to, to God, with one glaring exception? The one glaring exception is Jesus. Jesus sets himself apart from all other major world religions. He makes a radical statement and he says, relationship with God and heaven is not a path you follow. It is a person you know. You've got to know me, he says. And he sets himself up with this exclusive claim. And you can find it in John chapter 14, where he says literally this. Thomas asked him a question. He said, Lord, Hey, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? And listen to what Jesus says in John 14, 6. He said, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus makes this radical claim and he says, I am the way. I am not a way. I am literally the only way to have authentic relationship with God. He says, if you want to know God, you've got to know me. And yet we try to do what? Well, you've got to follow the Ten Commandments. 
You've got to be involved in a particular church. You've got to go through baptism or have communion. We have all these different rituals that we put in front of ourselves, say you've got to do these things. When Jesus exclusively said, no, you've got to know me, he says, I am the way. Furthermore, he said, not only am I the way, he said, I'm the truth. I am actually the embodiment of what is true. He's not saying I teach truth, although he taught truth. He says, I'm truth personified. If you really want authentic relationship with God, you want to know it how it is, you've got to know me. I am the way, I'm the truth, and he says, I'm the life. If you want genuine spiritual life, Jesus says, it's found by knowing and trusting me. In fact, he literally says, no one comes to the Father but through me. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying all other ways will not lead you to authentic relationship with God. They do not all lead to heaven because I am the only way. Whoa, wait a second here. That's pretty serious. That doesn't work in a world where, hey, everything's relative, right? You can't say that. That's an absolute. And Jesus says, I am the only way. Now, really, in the case of authentic spiritual life, it's not what you know. It's who you know. Do you know that? For instance, um, years ago, uh, I, my wife and I had the privilege of doing something I always wanted to do. I've always wanted to go to the White House. I thought, how cool would that be? I've read about a lot of presidents. I have studied about the White House. I've seen the, the replica, the little pictures. I mean, I would just love to be in there. And several years ago, my wife and I had the privilege of going. We actually got to go three times. It was super cool. I even got to eat in the White House. And it was just, I was like, oh, Karina, pinch me. This can't be happening, right? If you go to my office today, I'll show you the menu, okay? I've got it sitting right there. i got it like, this was so cool. How did a guy like me end up like here, I mean, in a place like the White House? It was awesome. But, you know, when going into the White House, you just can't go, hey, that sounds pretty good. Grant's got to go. I'll just waltz in there. If he got in, certainly I'll just get in. Can you just waltz into the White House? You want to try that? Those are some guys with guns. They're hiding in bushes, okay? They're... They don't, they don't think too kindly of you. Hey, I'm just going to pay a little call to the president. I just want to see how he's doing. No, you're not even getting anywhere close. Even if you think about it, I think they know that you're thinking you're going to go to the White House. No, no, no. You can't get on the White House by yourself. You've got to have someone who has access. That is the only way that I got in. I, despite my great merits of coming from Waco, Texas and all these good things, that didn't matter. Graduated from University of Oregon, doesn't matter. You had to know someone who had access. In our case, we were, had a friend who was a spir- uh, an aide to President Bush, and we got access. People, did you, re- you really you want to go to heaven? Come on, you want to go to heaven? Do you really want relationship with the one true God? Jesus says, you've got to know me. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Now, let me tell you something. All of us are people of faith. Every single individual, not only here, but around the world, everybody has something they believe in. You, you believe why you're here. You got, believe why you have a purpose, what you're here to do. You kind of have some idea where you're going, even if it's, well, when you're dead, you're dead. Everybody is a person of faith. You exercise faith on a daily basis. But your faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. And a lot of people are trusting themselves. Seriously, you're going to trust yourself? What kind of track record do you have? You, are you all-knowing, all-powerful? 
Are you batting a thousand? No. Your faith is only as good as the object of what is placed. And Jesus says, you really want heaven? You really want relationship with God? Then you have to know me. He says, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, what if you're, you're, some of you might be going, wait a second. Come on. Jesus making some sort of radical statement like that? Why should I believe him? Come on. That's, that's, when you make a statement like that, you're saying that you're God. Is there a way that we could know with absolute certainty that Jesus is truly speaking the truth when he says he's the only way to the Father? Is there some sort of radical, absolute proof that we can totally fall back on and say, indeed, it is logical. In fact, it makes complete sense to trust in Jesus as my means of salvation, hope, and eternity. And let me just tell you this. It is found in the resurrection. The ongoing miracle of the resurrection of Christ it, this is the reality of Easter, and it is the ultimate confirmation to the exclusive claim of Jesus. The fact that Jesus indeed rises from the dead, that is the absolute proof that God gives to all humanity. My son is the one, and I will prove it to you by having him raised from the dead. Now, Jesus did a lot of miracles. The four gospel accounts, the first four books in the New Testament, they record all sorts of things that Jesus does. He he walks on water. He feeds thousands of people with a couple of fish and some loaves of bread. He heals the lame. Those who are blind, he gives sight to them. Those who are mute and can't speak, he actually loosens their tongues where they can speak and sing the praises of God. He heals a man with a withered hand. He, he, he actually, on three different occasions, he raised someone from the dead. These aren't illusions. This isn't like a little magic show, like, oh, don't look over here, I'm going to do... These are like genuine, authentic miracles. Why does he do this? To show the world, indeed, I am the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. But the culminating miracle that God gives humanity, that his son is the exclusive and one and only way to relationship with the Father, is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, we're familiar with crosses. People wear crosses as jewelry these days. But let me assure you, the cross wasn't jewelry back 2,000 years ago. The cross was the Romans' mean of the most extreme form of execution. They didn't invent it. The Persians invented crucifixion, but the Romans perfected it. It was the ultimate, cruelest torture of how you killed someone. And it was, it was reserved for the very worst of criminals. It was a slow, painful, torturous death. And yet... Besides the physical pain where Jesus actually dies on the cross, he's not a martyr for a good cause, his own cause. He actually, like Peter says, he bears our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus goes to the cross to pay the penalty for man's sin. God's upholding justice in the universe. Someone's going to pay for your sin. And Jesus steps in and he pays for it in our place. Now, in order to authenticate to the world that indeed he satisfies God's justice, do you know what he does? Three days later, he rises again. Easter is not a memorial to a nice, good religious leader. It's not. It is a celebration of the fact that he is alive. 
That's the reality of Easter. Now, let me tell you, when Jesus, uh, he rises from the dead, he starts making some appearances. But I'd like to ask you while you're sitting there, how many witnesses do you need to believe in the resurrection? I want you to think about your number. If I told you, indeed, there is a man that was dead, they buried him, they had a funeral, but he's alive three days later, how many witnesses do you need? What's your number? Take a pick. Two? Three? Seven? Eleven? Thirty? Pick pick a number. Sixty? What is the number that you need? Well, Jesus makes about 15 appearances after after he is resurrected from the dead. He appears to his apostles. He appears to different women that were supporting their ministry. But you know what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Listen to this. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and get ready. I want you to think about what is the number that you would be absolutely convinced. How many witnesses do you need? And then it's written, and that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, until now but some have fallen asleep. That's a, a euphemism for death. And Paul's saying, listen, this Jesus, over 500 people saw him at one time. Do you want to go talk to them? They have seen the risen Lord, and on the basis of the confirmation of their testimony, God presents Jesus alive from the dead and say, do you really want Life with God, then it's only found in Jesus Christ. And what does the resurrection mean? It means this, guys. It means that Jesus is who he claimed to be. It means that Jesus has the power he claimed to have, and it means that he will do what he promised to do. Now, some people say, well, Jesus, he was a real good teacher, right? You've heard that before. Most universities, Jesus is going to get listed as one of the Good, halfway decent teachers. But do good teachers, like if I said, like Matt Reynolds, he's a good teacher. And you go, yeah, Matt's a really good teacher. But if Matt started saying that he was God, we'd go, Matt's not such a good teacher anymore, right? Right? We would go, no, 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 something's wrong. Jesus, does he teach like no one else could teach? Absolutely. He is truth personified. He gave wisdom that we are still wrestling with and marveling over. But Jesus claimed to be God. You can even see it in that verse that we read, that he is the only way to the Father. And he backed up his claim by raising from the dead. Remember when they crucified him? He was on there, and some of the Jews that were responsible for having him crucified were mocking and saying, hey, If you really are God, why don't you just once for all prove it and just why don't you come down from that cross and we're going to believe in you. Do you remember they were taunting him like that? Jesus allowed him, allowed them to crucify him. You know, he continually said, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. He dies. He says, it is finished. I have paid it. He's wrapped up in linens. He's buried in a tomb. A huge stone is put over. They got Roman guards because Jesus had said he's going to rise from the dead. And so the Jews said, hey, you know, they got this little story that this Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's going to come back from the dead. So let's put some Roman soldiers in front of this stone here. Make sure that doesn't happen. No one's going to steal that body away and say, huh, look, we took Jesus and he's alive. We're not going to go for that. And yet three days later, 
the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive and he starts appearing to his people and people are becoming convinced. And literally early church, 3000, then another 2000 start believing that indeed Jesus is the Messiah. You're looking for Muhammad, Buddha. You're looking for great religious leaders of the world. Guess what? We've got their graves. You can go visit them. They're in there. Jesus, his tomb is empty. And that is the reality of Easter. Let me just tell you some just amazing realities about the resurrection. Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, do you know that your sins can be forgiven? Now, even when you hear the word sin, like, whoa, what does that mean? Okay, sin is actually an ancient archery term. It literally means to miss the perfect mark. And so if they were shooting at a target, if you didn't hit the bullseye, it was called sin. You're shooting at game, you didn't make the clear, clean, precise shot, they said it was sin. And that's where the Bible derives its usage from it. It says, to sin means the perfect mark. Do you know that you were created to know God? He created you in his image so that you would know him and enjoy him and live with him. And the reality is, is we're like, no way. We're off on our own program. We defy God. We degrade him. We use his name as a curse word. I mean, we just, we, we go out and do our own thing. All of this is sin. When we disobey God, when we take his morality and say, I think I'll make up my own, all of this, our self-centeredness, our pride, our lust, our evil intent, our thinking, the things that we've done, all of this is sin. And the beauty of it is that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for our sin. Even though he himself was perfect, he actually bears our sins in his body on the cross and he pays for it. You see, someone's going to pay for your and I transgressions. Either you and I will or Jesus. Which do you want? Jesus invites anybody who wants forgiveness to come and to believe in me. It says in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person, now this may be a mystery to a few folks, but probably not. You're sitting by a sinner, (laughs) okay? Maybe if you're married, you're like, I totally know what you're talking about, right? Okay, You, you know this, and you know that about yourself. I mean, think about just the stuff that you think about. Think of some of the things that you've done. Would you want that public knowledge? Would you want a little YouTube video of you back in college or what you did? No, or even last week? No, 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 thank you. We're sinners. And it says Christ has paid for us. In fact, Romans 5, 8 says this. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He dies for the sinful. And like it says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, your sin that results in spiritual death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you want eternal life? Did you want forgiveness? It's found in Christ. And this this forgiveness that you found in Jesus, this is unlike anything you might imagine. He literally cleanses you from the inside out. When it speaks of God, it says that he remembers our sins no more. The beauty of it is this. God always sees those who are believing in Christ united with his son. He never sees us in our sin. He always sees us in our in the son. And that is the reality of Easter. God sees his people united with his resurrected son and they are clean and they're forgiven. Your conscience is cleansed. Even it says in Hebrews 10, 
Your body is washed with pure water. You are a new creation because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross and by virtue of the fact that he's raised from the dead. This is God's pardon program. Jesus nailed to the cross for you. If you believe in him, do you know what? You can have forgiveness of sins. Let me tell you something else about the resurrection. Because of Christ's resurrection, our life can actually be fulfilled. All of us truly want fulfillment in life. We want to know its meaning. We want purpose. We'd like a sense of peace in our soul. But do you know what? We can't find it. And so we try to create it. We create like little idols, power, pleasure, uh, possessions. We, we put these in front of us like if I just have this, I'll feel content and all will be well in the world. Right? We think this way. A lot of people live this way. But the reality is, is when they put their head on the pillow, man, there's like this gnawing emptiness. This isn't it. If I just won the lottery, life would be perfect. Is that what happens? Not exactly. You just win the lottery, you pretty much destroy your life and those around you. Why? Because you try to squeeze life out of something that it can't really give you. See, God and God alone can give you peace, hope, love. And it's found in him. There's a guy by the name of uh, Blaise Pascal. He was a French mathematician, a philosopher, and a physicist back in the 1600s. He said this, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus. There is a vacuum in your life, and it can only be filled with one, God himself, through the person of Jesus. So, did you want life? Did you really want fulfillment? Guess where it's found? It's found in Jesus. It's no wonder that the New Testament prayers, they always focus that people who believe in Christ would know the fullness of what it looks like to live in him. The beauty of Christianity is that actually God himself takes up residency in the life of those who believe. Like it says in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He gives you a new power because his presence is now united with you. He is actually in your life. And that's by virtue of the fact that Christ is actually dwelling in you. The things that we all really want true about us, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you know where this comes from? It comes from God by those who believe in Christ. Do you want meaning? You want purpose? Are you tired of living a rat race, either chasing your tail or chasing after somebody else? It's found when you will allow your heart to truly rest and trust in Christ. Let me just tell you one other thing about the resurrection. Not only can our sins be forgiven, not only can our life be fulfilled, but you can know this. Your future can be secure. It can be settled. You know, Think about it. Right now, 100% of the people die. Did you know that? Right? 100%. If you, there's not a whole lot of things you can say that about. 100% of the time, someone dies, though. And you're going to be right. You. You're going to pass away at some point. Maybe you live to 60, 70, 90. Maybe you get to the, the 100 mark, right? But you're, all of us, we're going to die at some point. Now, only a fool would go through life unprepared for something that he knows is going to happen. If you're knowing, you know that you're going to face something, it makes sense to prepare for it, doesn't it? 
You know that you're going to die. Are you ready? Now, whoa, this is Easter, Grant. We really don't like to talk about death, do we? I mean, try this. Invite some friends over. Get out the bucket of bluebell ice cream. Say, hey, I'm so glad we're over. Guess what? I'd like to talk about death. See how that goes over. Whoa. They're like, whoa, I want out of here now, right? We don't like to talk about it, and yet every single one of us wants to know what really does happen after you die. Where do you go? We'd like to know that our eternity is secure, and let me tell you how you can know that for certain. When you trust in Christ and Christ alone, you can know with absolute certainty, 100%, that to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord by virtue of the reality of Easter. Man, heaven is going to be far greater than you might ever imagine. You've got the presence of Christ. There's going to be the joy of the angels. You're going to be amazed eternally by the power of his majesty, his grace, his goodness, his love for you. You're never going to be bored and like, oh, just we're going to sing some more songs, eat some more grapes. Never. You're going to be always thrilled, overwhelmed. You know why? Because you're going to be in the presence of Christ and all those who have truly loved his appearing. And see that? You know what? There's a lot of folks that say there's just different ways to God. Some folks say, you know what? Salvation is all just about being sincere, right? It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. You ever heard that? Well, you know, I read about a pilot and he sincerely thought that he was flying high enough to get over a mountain and he crashed into it. He had a sincere belief. He just was wrong. He was sincerely wrong. And he's dead. Your faith is only good as the object in which it's placed. Some people think, you know, I'll get to heaven by service. I'm going to do a lot of things. I'm going to work my way there. Do you really think you're going to be able to earn God's favor when God says, "Uh uh-uh, my son, believe in him. You're not following a plan. You're believing in a person. Some people believe that you actually come to know God by subtraction. You subtract stuff out of your life, right? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop drinking, and I'll stop smoking, and I'm going to stop cussing, and you got all these things, and I'm going I'm to start living really aesthetic, and I'm going to start wearing burlap for a while, and you try all these things, you subtract all this stuff, I'm going to give my money away. But does subtraction really lead to relationship with God? Or how about addition? I'm going to start adding things to my life. Like, a lot of people think this, I'm going to start going to church, I'm going to become a member of a church, and that will make me right with God. That is the equivalent of thinking like, I'm going to join the Lions Club, and that'll make me a lion, right? I I join? I'm a lion. Look at that. Is that, you know, you look in the mirror like, hey, something's wrong here. I joined the Lions Club. I don't look like no lion. I act like one, but I don't look like one, right? No, it's it's not by subtraction. It's not by addition. It's not by, well, you know, if I just get myself baptized. Please, someone just baptize me, and that will make me right with God. No, Jesus said, you gotta believe in me. Some people believe that you become a true, genuine Christian through heritage. Your great-grandmother was a Christian, your grandmother, your mother, dad was a Christian, and so you just assume, well, I must be a Christian. I was born into it. I was born a Christian. Well, let's think about that for a second here. If your great-grandmother was married, and your mother was married, your grandmother was married, does that automatically make you married? Does it? You couldn't legitimately run around like, well, I'm married. Really? How, how are you married? Well, my mother was married. My grandmother was married. My great I, I'm, I'm a married guy. 
no, no, you're delusional at this point, right? And you're not married. You're not married until you say, I do. You're not married until you actually enter into a covenant relationship with that gal, right? Or if you're a gal, with that guy, right? And yet there's a lot of people that are running around with, well, I was just born a Christian. I was born into this family. Uh, and then there's, there's, this is a good one. This might be my favorite. It's, I'm, I'm a Christian or I'm, I've got salvation from sin because of comparison. Meaning, I'm not as bad as this guy. And let me just tell you, you're probably much better than me. I'm not even going to argue with that. Okay? I know myself. But you're not perfect, are you? And in heaven, there are only perfect people because it is a place of absolutely no sin and true, complete perfection. And you know what that means? You and I, we can't go. I'm sorry. We can't go alone. We have to trust in Christ and him alone. He is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So what is your source of hope? Are you broken over your sin? Would you like to experience fulfillment in life? Do you want your future secured? Jesus said, believe in me. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity, if it's false, it's of no importance. In fact, we're just totally wasting our time right here. If Christianity is true, it's of infinite importance. But the one thing it cannot be is moderately important. So what is it for you? Are you truly repentant and broken over your sin and trusting in Christ? Do you believe truly from the heart that Jesus is raised from the dead? If you do, you believe that he's paid for your sins, you're experiencing the reality of Easter. There's some folks here, you've been drifting from God for quite a while. Uh, God has you for, here for a reason. He wants you to know the sweetness of the Savior. And not a single soul is here by accident. God wants you to slow down and take about 25 minutes to consider deeply, am I truly trusting Christ and him alone for life with God and my eternity? You know, in a few days, we're going to have the 100th anniversary of a very tragic event. It was on April 14, 1912, the Titanic sank. And we're all very familiar with that, and it's going to be in the papers, and it's going to be a big thing coming up this week. A hundred years ago, over 1,500 people perished on the ship that even God couldn't sink. Remember? It is the unsinkable ship. And yet, exactly, that's exactly what happened. Is it made its way through the North Atlantic waters. It hits an iceberg, most of which, like all icebergs, was submerged. It tears this huge gaping hole into the unsinkable ship. And all these people died. And, you know, it was really a tragic deal. The boat had 20 lifeboats on it. It had the potential of rescuing 1,178 people. But the problem was is that most of the lifeboats were about half full. And so literally what happened is these lifeboats were dropped in. They only had like half full of people. And others were jumping off the ship. And many people thought that even though we're having a little emergency here, this baby is not going down. And yet there was only 711 people that were truly rescued from this tragic event. Now, after the sinking of the Titanic, there was a study done to try to figure out what in the world went happened. And there were two major problems. One of the major problems is that some of the crew felt like that if, if the boats were filled to capacity, when they lowered them down, that they actually split in two. So they literally prevented people from getting on the boat. And so they lowered the boat and people would jump off the ship and they'd be floating around in this ice cold water and they'd die. That was one of the problems. 
But the most significant problem was a very serious, startling misconception that this ship wouldn't go down and they'd be just fine. In reality, they perished. You see, they didn't feel the urgent need, and hence they didn't respond. Let me tell you something. This ship, this world, it is going down. You and I, we're going to die. Who are you trusting your eternity to? Yourself? Some system? Some world religion that's got you on a path? Or will you respond by faith to Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You see, the reality of Easter is that we can truly know God by trusting in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing verse that we have before us. This Easter 2012, to realize that Jesus has paid for all of our sins and he is alive, authenticating to the world that indeed he is God. So, Lord, you know all about us and where we are at presently. If there is someone here who has never truly placed their faith in Christ, would they simply just pray with me and say, Lord, I finally get it. I totally understand my sin. I see and understand that Jesus is the one and only Savior. And I believe in him. Lord, change me from the inside out. Help me to understand what forgiveness really looks like as I believe in him. And Father, may all of us walk in the newness of life and the joy of the resurrection, that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And we pray in his name.